Welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. quick comment before this episode starts that if you do want to get a lot of information in a shorter period of time and you are quite concise with your podcast listening this is one of those to put at a faster speed mike it's a beautifully paced uh, considered uh, response time to my questions but this is a slower more considered conversation so if you would like to hear more in a shorter period of time just up the speed of replay so that you can hear it at a more normal pace. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you find this episode useful. Welcome to episode 14 of uh, Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast. Today I have another repeat guest who I'm hoping will be a repeat guest every year because the subject that we discussed last year and we're back to talk about this year is an ongoing annual subject i mean this is this is if you want to know about the okavango it's so closely tied to its flood levels it's the ongoing conversation so last year when we had the conversation and recorded the podcast we were still in lockdown so we had our our conversation remotely so it gives me great pleasure to be able to do this face to face and it gives me great pleasure to welcome back dr mike murray hudson welcome back mike thanks tess um hello everybody so I've asked Mike back to do what he does best, which is talk about the floods and the floodwaters and try and make some kind of, dare we say, prediction. I mean, I think the one thing we can all safely say is trying to guess what 2021 is going to do in all spheres of our lives. is like taking a bet and it's a bit of a gamble. And the floods are no exception, are they, Mike? No. Well, um, as usual, I think the, the, the Okavango system has pulled a new variant out of its um, its card hand. Um, and so this year we, we've had a huge amount of local rain. Um, I think probably around 750 millimetres at our house. I think here in Disanang people recorded more than that. Over a thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even down on the Boteti, I think people were recording in the 800s. Um, in the meantime... Um, southwestern Angola is in the grips of an extreme drought. Um, and I'm, it's very difficult to get data from there, but um, judging from the satellite imagery of, of uh, rainfall that had happened in, in southern Angola, they didn't really get any rain at all. Um, and they should be getting 11 or 1200 millimeters. Um, so we've seen, um, a river that's here in Maun has been full of water since, uh, January, February, um, and has been slowly but steadily climbing in levels for the last three or four months. Um, one of the results of that is that the, the, the entire river is full of water lilies and it's unbelievably beautiful at the moment um but we don't we we don't really know what's coming in at the top um 
judging from the hydrographs at Rundu, which is in Namibia, um, the, the inflow, certainly the flow on the Kabango uh, at Rundu is lower than it was in 2019, which 2019 was an all-time low. low record um, in, in a, a history of records that goes back to the 1930s. So um, in the last five years, we've seen two record lows. Is that of concern? That do we, is that possibly a trend that's starting, or is that just potentially I, I too, think too it, bad years? We don't know. No. We don't know. We, you can't really say if it's a trend or not. Um, the, I, I think that it may be related to the, the El Niño-La Niña cycle. Um, yep, yeah, oscillation. Yeah, um, last year, last rainy season, our, our rainy season, there was um, a, not a very strong, but it, but it was a La Nina mm-hmm. um, conditions. and um, Hence the above average rainfall. Well, perhaps. it's okay. it, We think it has an influence on our rainfall. We're fairly sure it has an influence on the rainfall in Australia, for example, um, where they had big floods all along the east coast um but uh here the the connection is not quite as clear um and also it's something that i know very little about uh but but we know that um and so let's hope that it was something related to that and and that we are just seeing um a new extreme in in the in the very very high variation of the hydrological behavior of the system um yeah because this is the i mean we don't want to be alarmist in any kind of way but at the same time climate change is a reality and i think this is sort of where everybody who's got let's you know let's say a stakeholder of the okavango everyone who's got a vested interest in these Mm. floods starts wondering whether this is something we need to prepare over the long term for or if this is just a little blip in that the last few years have been so unusual, and, and they have been. I mean, 2020 was a, f- a decent flood on a dry riverbed. That hadn't yeah. happened in a long time. Yeah, um, yeah. The inflow in 2020 was sort of, it was actually slightly below the long-term average. But as you say, it came wandering in uh, along a, a riverbed that had been dry almost halfway up the delta. Um and then how does the um, dry the, the delta's own cycle of drier years, wetter years influence this? Is this is that potentially also what we're seeing? I mean, are we going into we're in the middle of a drier period, well, aren't we? Or do you we, we mean, thought what, we that thought that like? we were we thought we were um, coming towards the peak of a wetting period. Okay. Um, it doesn't really look like that anymore. Uh, but who knows what next year might bring. You know, those um, cycles are are long. Um, They're they're sort of 70 to 80 years between peaks or between troughs. And, um, you know, yeah, you can have a couple of low years that pull the long-term trend down, but then you might suddenly get a very big year like 2011, which which pulled the the long-term trend up. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's it's difficult to say. The, the important thing really is that we're recording it. 
-hmm. And we can, um, maybe in 20 or 30 years, we'll have the exact science of hindsight to, to look and say, oh, yeah, that was what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And in the meantime, the exciting part is the fact that this is, this is why we do what we do. It's, it's nature at its yeah. most unregulated, uncontrollable. Um, and all we can do, as you say, is record it. There's, yeah. We, there's no regulation of this. So you can just sort of ride the wave, as it were. Yeah. Well, we, we're also, um, we're, we're working hard, uh, to, look at the Okavango Basin as a whole and um, trying hard to make sure that we um, manage it as sustainably as possible. Um, and, and in this regard, uh, Okacom is the, the, the Tripartite Basin Commission, which um, Angola and Namibia and Botswana all sit on together, is trying very hard to uh, chart um, pathways for sustainable development mm-hmm. and um, they for that we need to give them as much support as we can and what does what you we've spoken now that we've got this really great rain, local rainfall this year and then a potentially lower flood coming in and as you say the river and mound is is currently in the end of May, what it would normally be like later in the year, yeah. sort of looking at July levels at the moment. Right. Um, you know, sort of just anecdotally, like by living here. What does the what does the impact of the local rainfall mean in terms of how that flood moves through the system? Obviously it's a smaller pulse coming down, mm. but what does that that well, that local rainfall mean for that pulse? Um, I think that because it's such a small inflow at the top and the delta is or has been pretty full of water, um, not only the surface water but the groundwater will have been fairly well replenished, um, I think that we probably won't even notice the, the, the incoming flood as a, as a um, kick up in the hydrograph. Certainly down here in Maun, I think it, it will have been buffered out completely. So there will be no sign of any kind of peak? N- no. I, inf- yeah, I don't think so. I, if we're lucky, the, the levels will stay up for another couple of months. Um, but, it, you know, I, it's really difficult to say. Uh, I don't know, we don't know um, how much rain for example, fell on the Quito catchment, which is the eastern catchment of the Okavango. Um, the Zambezi, which is the next river system over, had very good rain and had good flows this year. So they um, had good local rainfall as well as good catchment rainfall? Uh, I'm not sure about, about the, the local rainfall, okay. but they had very good, good catchment. Yeah, good, okay. good rainfall in the catchment um, and pretty good flows generally on the Zambezi. On the Quito, you know, we we don't have um, data, um, so we're not really sure of what's going to, what the contribution of that system will be. Um, and that's the river that feeds the Quando that feeds the Chobi. No, no, the Quando the Quando is the next system. But that's part of the Zambezi system. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. 
The Quito um, is? The Quito feeds the Okavango at, it joins the Okavango at Tirico in, in southern Angola, okay. which is sort of, um, it's maybe 60 kilometers, 70 kilometers, 60 kilometers east of Rundu. So it, um, there are, there are two major so is the Rundu data capturing that? No. No, okay. Yeah. But the Mohembo data obviously yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. So it's joining so, the river between Rundu and Mohembo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we don't really know what came in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is nice is that um, the National Geographic Okavango Wilderness Project have installed um, automatic uh, water level and, and flow recorders on the bridge at Tivundu, which is downstream of the junction of the Quito and the Quando. Um, that They got that up and running last year, so we've only really got two years' worth mm-hmm. of data. So there's no historical data there to no. compare? Yeah, but, okay. but we're starting to develop a record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you've got to start somewhere, huh? Yep. And as, and as you said, maybe in 20 to 30 years, this mm-hmm. picture will be crystal clear. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> so... Um, We've, I mean, we've spoken about, but even before we sort of started recording, we started, we talked, spoke about these very high levels that have been recorded in isolated patches for this time of year. You talked about the Gamoti readings, which are looking pretty good. And again, there's no historical record, but compared to what we were seeing in 2020, it's looking good. And that I'm assuming we're putting down to local rainfall. Yeah. Um, those distributaries, on the east of Chiefs Island, the um, Wanachira, Kwai, um, Santanta, Dibe, Gomoti systems, um, they're mainly fed by base flow from the main Okavango channel. By the time the, the, the main Okavango gets down there, the pulse part of it has, has um, filled up the Taoche and the Boro systems, and what you're left with is the long-term base flow. So they don't um, they don't undergo the huge kinds of fluctuations in level that the Boro and the Taoche do. Uh, they 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 kind of fluctuate, you know, less than a meter from low to high flood. But because they're kind of perennially filled they respond very strongly to local rainfall. Okay. So um, usually you see a peak coming out of the Gumoti at the end of the rainy season, which is sort of, I suppose, last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you have seen? Yes, that's what we've seen this year. But with this year we've seen a, a nice fat peak um, compared with what, what the water levels showed last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, this is... Again, um, just personal observation, but it, it looks to me as if the what is known as the Tamalakani backwater, um, which goes past our house, is flowing from from northeast to southwest. Okay. Uh, which would sh- which would sort of suggest that the Gomoti is pushing water that. in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to tell that, you know, the, the flow is so slow in that system that um, the, the reason I'm saying that is that there are these plants that are growing up from the bottom and they point 
they're towards the junction. They point west. Oh, they're, sorry, they're pointing yeah. west. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're going the east. Um, but it's really uh, very, very slow flow. Mm-hmm. Um, but that might be also part of the reason that we've seen such good water down here. Yeah. yeah, and then that's the same region that got more water than the the more western boreal region in 2019. Yeah, because that 2019 year was quite a tricky one for for the, you know every year the floods are of interest. But mm. that year was the conversation was around the fact that the flood seemed its distribution seemed skew. Yeah. Um, and wasn't sort of as predicted um, with more water going eastward than yeah. west. I think that that, it, that that might have actually been genuinely happening, but an alternative uh, explanation certainly lies in the fact that what I was talking about before, where those eastern distributaries are, are fed by base flow, um, means that if we didn't get a pulse... If we just got base flow coming in, which is uh, really what 2019 looked like, mm-hmm. um, then there would be no overbank flow that, that feeds those Western... Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's shifting the mindset from saying West is usual, East unusual, to saying actually East is base, yeah. and then if there's a big enough pulse, it goes West. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, nice okay. way of putting it. Yeah. Right. And um, and then in terms of what this means for life on the ground, have you uh, have you seen any changes in vegetation, animal movement, or anything like that due to these few years that have been so volatile? Well, twenty in twenty nineteen, um, because there was such a lot of desiccation in the Delta wetlands, there were a lot of wildfires and I think we lost um, peat to fire that we hadn't lost that hasn't been exposed in the previous record of 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 extent of flooding in the Delta Uh, you know in that particular year there was a contraction in the area of perennially flooded Delta which is what I was saying earlier that that western side was so much drier than normal. Mm. Um, and it was particularly in the west that it was drier, right? Yeah. Well, up into yep. the central no, Delta. it was. Yeah. Um, just to backtrack a bit, would you just explain to our listeners why the peat's so important? Well, uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, one of the most important reasons is that that is carbon that's being sequestered from the atmosphere. It's, um, it's carbon dioxide that's been taken up by plants that are photosynthesizing, and then that organic matter is being stored as um, decayed vegetation. And uh, while it's submerged, it represents a storage of carbon. It represents carbon that has been taken out of the atmosphere and put away the... the um, the processing of that carbon is really slow because it's anaerobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you expose it and burn it, or even if, you, if it just oxidizes slowly, um, it gets released back into the atmosphere and, and goes back to driving um, global warming. Mm-hmm. So one of, the, one of the important functions, it's, it's, a, it's 
a bit of a double-edged sword. But one of the important functions of wetlands like the delta is that they um, do sequester peat. And, um, and sequester the carbon. Yeah. Mm. The, 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 the reverse side of that coin is that um, the byproduct of metabolism of that stored carbon is methane. And methane is uh, uh, also a global warming gas mm -hmm. that is about 28 times stronger in its effect than carbon dioxide. And so it, there's a trade-off there. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what's the other the other important thing about peat is that in, it's a major storage of nutrients and it's a, a ma it's in the soils that we have in the whole Okavango basin actually um they're incredibly nutrient poor and organic matter is one of the few things that that sustains the base of plants um the nutrients in there are stored and, and recycled slowly so then the peat fires of 2019 would have had an impact, obviously, in releasing carbon into the atmosphere. What other mm. impact would it have had to have those fires? Um, that's difficult to say. Not a hell of a lot. Um, well, yeah. One, one effect of burning peat is that you um, reduce the level of the land. If, if, if you... If I, I, I'm not sure I'm explaining that well, but the peat... The peat sits like a sponge layer on yeah, top of the it, base it, soil. And it degrades by, I don't know, half a millimetre a year or something. And you gradually build up this layer of what's essentially soil. It's, yeah. it's saturated soil. Um, and when you dry it out and burn it, the water level, that uh, when that area gets refilled, is suddenly two, three metres... Different. Um, and on the yeah. Okavango, that's a huge gradient. Yes. It's a huge adjustment. It's also, it's also uh, something that gets in the way of um, the re-establishment uh, of plants like papyrus, which are, or phragmites, which are emergent plants that stick their heads out of the water to do the photosynthesizing. So where we had large reed beds um, capable of, of recovering very quickly and, and uh, starting photosynthesis again. Instead, you've got open water. And the only plants that can really do anything in open water are, are submerged plants and um, perhaps floating leaf plants like water lilies. Um, they're all going to take quite a bit of time to get re-established. Um, and to build up that peat again will probably take two or three hundred years. So, And does the peat also help... Uh, something I've heard previously that the peat acts as a bit of a sponge layer and holds onto water in a way that therefore slows down the movement of water through the system. Would the burning of the peat have had an impact on sort of how fast the flow yeah. moves through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's definitely true. It's not so much the peat as the actual emergent plants themselves, and okay. um, the stems of. So losing these banks of papyrus. Yeah could have an impact because, as you say, it's now gone from being reed beds to uh, open water. Yeah. It also must affect um, evaporation. Yeah, on the whole, on the whole, evaporation from marshes with, with emergent vegetation is less than from open water. Um, the other thing, as you kind of referred to, is that 
the flow can be much faster. And last year, I, I, Francis, my wife and I had, had this uh, saying that it was the fastest flood in history. It came scooting across the delta because there was we nothing to hold it up. We won't talk about how wrong you were on the dates of the flood arriving in Mount Mike. <laughs> Anyone who took your advice to place their bet was yeah. seriously wrong. As yeah. you say, it came down very, very quickly. Yep. Very speedy. And it went past as quickly. Yep. It declined. I think that the, 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 yeah, the decline was steeper than I've seen. And so that you think the peak beds would have had an impact on that? Uh, not so much the peak, beds. but the the, 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 the emergent vegetation, the, the yeah, the sedges and the grasses that that grow in the floodplains. They're the, they're what hold up the water and make sure that it it stays longer and flows slower. And would that have an impact on on the sediment movement in the system? Then I mean, I know that's sort of something you also yeah. look at. But obviously, a faster flow would mean slightly yeah, different I, deposits of sediment. Lots of lots of little local um, pulses of sediment movement, and and flying over the delta at that time, you could see it splays of sand where um, channels channel banks had been breached. Um, they were all over the place. Uh, it, I think, probably not on a grand scale, because to move sediment on a grand scale, you really need um, big fast floods and you know no matter how nice the flood of 2020 seemed it was um couldn't be classed as a big one no okay yeah. and then would would movement of sediment have any sort of long-term effects does it just sort of change a little maybe how a how a small channel deviates or could it actually have massive like across the Okavango it, it depends what you're looking at okay. the, the there is a um, one of the major ecological processes in the delta is to do with sediment and its its um, accumulation in the main channel bed. Uh, that long-term process works on a time scale of somewhere between one and two hundred years. Um, that the channels, the bed of channels, build up and um, lift them to the point where they're no longer stable and the flow goes in a completely different direction. Um, so that's been recorded um, on the Tawahe system, which is the westernmost distributary that failed in the late 1800s. Um, and the switch was to the Ngocha, which is the current mainstream, um, which has also been aggrading at the bottom end, mm -hmm. building up and failing steadily uh, backing itself up towards the apex of the panhandle. And where do you expect that water to go next when, when it does fail? It's impossible to say. No. Absolutely impossible to say. Um, it can be anything that triggers uh, where the water goes next. Um, so we can't really, yeah. You can't speculate on it at all. It's a random, a genuinely random process. Yeah. And then anecdotally, um, try and take your scientist hat off and ask this question. Anecdotally, have you seen a change um, in wildlife or, or vegetation or in sort of the, the ecosystem as a whole with 
2020's lack of tourists and, and as a result, lack of activity. I mean, we've seen much fewer boats on the river, much fewer yeah. vehicles around. We've had a few planes fly over us during this recording, but we didn't hear them for a good six months last yeah. year. Have you seen any sort of impact on the reduced human activity that you would say 2020 had an impact in that way? Yeah, that's very difficult to say. I mean, we... We saw herds of buffalo on the river, um, but I don't think that it would be fair to say that that wouldn't have happened in previous years when there were tourists. Um, certainly, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if we can if we can really say that that not having tourists has made a difference in the behaviour of wildlife. There are so many other confounding factors. For example, the, the you know the business of of beginning hunting again, yeah, and um, that that always triggers major movements mm. of, of wildlife. I was going to say one of the experiences I've had recently is elephants definitely seem a little bit more twitchy, but then as you say, the hunting's also started again, and that would have a bearing on that. Yeah, um, and when we saw these twitchy elephants, it was in Marami trying to get up to the Budumatau area, which has had a huge amount of water this year, so, so mm. much that they closed the roads. Yeah. And we were heading up towards sort of eastern Kini and could not get through the elephants. We actually stopped and turned around. Wow. And they were that water was right up against that main access road. Mm. And they were very twitchy. And, you mm. know, they're in the Mapani there. You can't really see them. Yeah. They're on the water because the water's right there. Yeah. And... Um, Breeding herds, definitely not. Um, I wasn't going to risk getting mm. closer than that, that, trying to get past them. And, But as you said, lots of factors. Could be the water, yeah. could be the, the the fact that the roads have been closed for so long and Miremi was closed for a considerable amount of time. Yeah, and It was four months in the end that the, the park was closed. And mm. then you've also got the... The, um, the impact of hunting, which you know, yeah. which had started again, so lots yeah. of variation in the last few years, certainly keeping yeah. us all on our toes, huh? Yeah, but I mean, the, the one thing that you have to say about this system is that it's really, really resilient. It's evolved around this extreme variation, and um, so far, touch wood, we haven't been able to see whether we've crossed any thresholds or not. Um, and that that's something that we will probably see in the future sometime, but I'm not sure how soon. Okay. So, you know, this the last few years have been, us as humans have had to learn a bit of resilience we might not have had before. Yes. And you're saying that the Okabango's always had it. <laughs> we yeah. Well, panic too much. <laughs> complex ecosystems are much more resilient than simple ones. Mm-hmm. Um, they're less vulnerable. And, um, you know, resilience goes with diversity, goes with habitat diversity, and it goes with um, uh, landscape diversity, both of which in, in the Okavango, in the basin as a whole, we have um, abundance of. How fantastic. Yeah. One other thing that I've seen, you mentioned already the lilies being out in, in mm. mass this year, and they really are beautiful. But I've noticed on my boat trips up and down the river that there's a, a lot more jacana activity. Um, is that then something that is normally seen over 
the years that when there's higher water, higher local rainfall, there's better lilies, that means better breeding for the birds. Is there a correlation there or um, is my anecdotal observation? No, I think, I mean, I think there must be some connection. Every year sees something else do well. And um, this year, not, there are not only jacanas doing very well, but there are also all these other little gallinaceous birds, mm-hmm. the crakes, the gallinules, the moorhens, the coots. They're all doing really well. Um, and next year, they might not be. It might be somebody else. It might be the, the broad-billed weaver or the quellia. I'm, I'm waiting for another year of heavy quellia. There's also been a lot of discussion about rodents being doing very well yeah. in the last year. So maybe our, maybe the raptors will do particularly well yeah. following the rodent outbreak. Yeah, exactly. It's and and truth to tell, in in highly variable systems like this, that boom and bust um, sort Model. of phenomenon is quite common. Um, yeah, certainly when you get a lot of rain, you get a lot of rodents. And um, we we definitely have lots of them who seem to think that our house is a dormitory. <laughs> well, you're not alone. <laughs> I think it seems to be the sort of talk on the street of Mount yeah. this yeah. week is how the rodents are taking over. Mm. Um, have suddenly owning cats is not such a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, um, Mike, I'm not going to ask you the snapshot session. We've already had one. We've already had your insight into the, you know, mm. what you your tips are. But any advice you have for somebody who wants to come and experience the flood of 2021 and where you think they should be looking to visit to make the most of seeing this, this water? That's a very difficult question. Um, you know, right here in Maun is a really great place to go. Uh, and look at the river life. As I say, there are all these um, wonderful little water birds that um, that are wandering around in the reeds. The um, we also, I you know, because I'm a scientist, I think that uh, it's nice to see what's happening where the water's dropping. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I think that in the up in the central delta, it it would be nice to spend time watching. Last year, we went to Tizira, and um, there's it's an incredibly dynamic place from a kind of uh, sed- sediment distribution point of view and um, change. And it, the the birds were absolutely extraordinary there. It was on the tail end of the back end of that 2020 flood. Um, so the water was dropping, there were sandbanks starting to show, and um, I guess the fish were starting to be concentrated, and that always makes really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Is it particularly good grazing once all flood levels drop? Do you start to see herbivore movement change because of that? Absolutely. This, you know, this year we've seen so much grass that everything is fat at the moment. Everything is fat. I've noticed at our house now that the cows are starting to eat the cynodon, which is couch grass, which is sort of a bit lower on the level of palatability. So they have started to to um, work their way through the, the sort of preferred grass species. And I imagine that that's happening in the wildlife areas as well. Mm. Um, but... Uh, you know, with this, with as the water drops, 
you get new growth coming up on the floodplains and, and those grasses are not quite so nutritious but there, there are a lot of them and they're green and succulent and so um, they will make very good grazing for for all of the wildlife. Which translates to good wildlife viewing. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. And any anything that um, any other sort of explorations you are going to be taking in the next little while to making the use of the what is unfortunately still a very quiet tourist yeah. market? I wish I could. I'm chained to my desk and nailed to my computer screen. Um I don't we, we I we try and do a boat trip every year, but I'm not sure we'll be able to do it again this year. Mm. It does seem um, like the window for the Transocavangos has been very, yeah. well, been very short this year. Yeah. Well, I heard that someone was doing them in kind of February. Okay. So Somebody, someone drove up. Through. Okay. Yeah. In February and had no trouble at all. Yeah, so mm. it caught us all by surprise. Yeah. No one's used to doing a yeah, TO exactly. in, in February. Yeah. And um, normally July is the month, but yeah. it's probably not going to happen this year. It's so. strange timing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much, Mike, for your input. And um, I'm sure that uh, my listeners will really appreciate, as best we can, trying to sort of translate what the current conditions look like going into mm. the future. And I look forward to having you back next year when we have an idea of what 2022 holds. Well, I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit bigger than what we've got now. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, we've got this um, sediment monitoring uh, study going on, and, and this year we basically didn't find any bed load, any movement of bed load sediment at Mohembo, um because the flow is so That's slow. Fun. Have you seen any um, predictions for our upcoming rainy season? No. Too early yeah. to have a look. I think so, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, we would need to start looking at, at the sort of El Nino, La Nina um, conditions and try and figure out what we're going to get. That's, I have an idea that somebody said it was raining in Somalia, but I'm not sure. Okay. It's sort of early yeah. to tell. Okay, fantastic. Well... We'll bring you and your crystal ball back again hmm. to try and <laughs> to talk about 2022 and 2022. And as always, Mike, thanks so much for your time. I know people always, anyone associated with Aquabanga really enjoys the subject. So thanks for bringing your insight and um, sharing with us as best one can, um, trying to make sense of it all and, and um, look forward to, to, to hearing what it does next. Mm, thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah. That was Dr. Mike Murray-Hudson of the Okavango Research Institute of the University of Botswana, sharing once again his insight into the floods after years of looking at them and following them and following the numbers and the graphs. It's not an easy conversation to have, and um, you can definitely hear that as a scientist, Mike's uh, very cautious and aware of making bold, sweeping statements. 
But all I can say as a traveler who's enjoying being out there, that the Delta is looking spectacular, even though we do not know how much longer the water will remain. And it is starting to drop locally in the Kakaba area. The water levels are starting to drop. But I have heard anecdotally in the last week, where the beginning of June, that it does look like the flood as it is, as a pulse from Angola has hit the Jao Flats. So that's hitting the northern delta about the right kind of time. And it is on a lot of water. So hopefully that keeps our water going for a little bit longer. But at this point, no one's going to make any guarantees about what that means for us going forward in terms of how how much water and how long it sticks around for. But we do hope that with what is a very decent looking flood level in the Tamalakani and Mount at the moment that we won't be back to where we were in 2019 with a dry riverbed before our local rains and next week next year's floods come in. I must apologize again I feel like I'm always apologizing but um, life's been really busy at the moment as we start to gear up for what is our 2021 season in Botswana and obviously uh, the paying jobs and um, our day jobs have to take priority after a year of very little action on that front. So I do apologize about the fact that it's taken me um, a month since my last episode to get this episode out. I had tried to commit to a, far, a closer time um, time period. I unfortunately had a bit of the bogeyman um, in my podcast episodes and the episode that was supposed to be episode 14 before this episode disappeared. Um, and, but I will re-record it. We're going to be discussing Maun. I've been a Maun resident for 10 years um, in May this year. So that was quite a significant milestone that I celebrated by recording a podcast about Maun that then promptly disappeared. Um, we also are, as I mentioned in this episode, starting to get a bit more air traffic. So recording um, a podcast at decent quality is not always as easy and despite having a new microphone I'm actually finding it a bit of a challenge to get decent audio so I do apologize about the audio in this recording between dogs and chickens and aeroplanes um, we we did have a fair number of interruptions and uh, it's it's not easy when you're doing these kind of things as a bit of a side gig. For those of you who've stuck with me this far, I appreciate it greatly. Um, I look forward to bringing you to my next episode about my own. And I do hope that these continue to be of some value to you. If you have any questions, please send them to beautifulbotswanapodcast at gmail.com and I'll happily tackle them for you. I'll answer what I can to the best of my ability and call in an expert if necessary. In the meantime, I'm going to be trying to make the most of what continues to be another quiet year in Botswana as we face slightly increased international travel with the CDC dropping us to level three for our American travelers. We are, however, still on the red list for the UK and we have started seeing some Spanish and Portuguese guests coming through as well, of course, as a lot of South Africans coming up. It's now getting chilly here and we're well into our winter, which always heralds, you know, what should be the start of our season. And in the meantime, we will just be making the most of the bush and what it offers and trying to, to explore as much as we can before it starts getting busy again. Thank you once again for taking this journey with me. Until next time. Bye-bye.